Father, we do pray for all of our youth ministry. We pray for the youth team to Watson that has left as they arrive this evening, that you will bless them and be with them as they uh, groups of teenagers from our First Nations community gather and as our young uh, missionaries share the love of God with those teenagers, we pray for many salvations in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, also for the children's team that will be going uh, next week, that, Lord, you will bless them as they travel north and as they uh, go and minister to the children in that uh, northern uh, town, that, God, you will bless them and be with them. We pray for those uh, uh, junior highs that will uh, be going to Portland and, God, that you will use them on the streets of Portland as they evangelize and reach out. And we pray for the five youth camps through our church this summer, that there will be an unprecedented amount of young people giving their lives to Christ. We pray for this number of a hundred that come from unchurched families, teenagers, that, that could and we are believing will receive salvation through the ministry of the ark. Lord, we pray that you will provide all our needs according to your riches in glory. And that God, you will see. Bless God and Lord, we pray, as they begin their powerful ministry, ministering in this valley. We ask for your presence to be with them. For Maple Springs, in the name of Jesus. For those of our church that will be working there. For Green Bay, Lord, we pray that you'll be there and bless them as well. And that up and down this uh, valley, we will see a mighty harvest uh, this summer of a next generation discovering the power of Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I hope you can agree with that. Do you know, I've often said uh, the difference between Europe and, and Canada is that, uh, well, there's a number of differences. First difference is, Really, Britain never wanted to leave Canada. Um, that's what it's all about. We just want to join Canada again and become like Newfoundland. Um, uh, but the other reason is, is that, that Europe doesn't have a network of evangelical camps. It doesn't exist in the way that it does in North America. And North American camp ministry has saved the North American church. That's why it's so important so uh, we need to um, throw ourselves behind in every way and know that you, are, you have got a gift that is amazing and a real blessing. I'm going to talk to you on that cheery note about joy, victory over worry. So I don't know about you, if you get stressed out and worried and go through difficult times, often many of us do, don't we? We go through these times and, and this phrase, I'm stressed out, has become part of our culture. I even hear uh, small children saying it. You know, obviously they hear it on, on edifying shows, on Disney channels. Oh, I'm so stressed out. And, and running around and all of these issues. And stress has become part of our culture. In fact, stress 
has, has invaded every area of our lives and has affected the kind of way that we move forward and, and the way that we operate in our lives. And, and, and we know that in the first few verses of Philippians chapter 4, there was a stressful situation. There were two women in the church that were not getting on very well. Imagine it. Um, in church, I can't believe it. Two women not getting on very well. I mean, it never happens. Um, and so they were, we don't know what they were going through. I know Paul was concerned. He, he gives over uh, in any five verses to it and, and says, you know, will you sort out your problems? Will you iron out your problems, your difficulties? There's clearly a grudge. And the problem is that when we don't deal with sin, grudges, split churches, split families, resentment that is unresolved creates major um, problems within the life of the church. (coughs) That's why I want you to pray on Monday nights. Come and pray with us this Monday. Because a church that really prays together will stay together and a a church that prays together will see people saved. And so... So they've got this problem. We don't know what it's about. Maybe they, they were competitive with each other about ministry. Maybe they wanted to uh, lead this ministry and that. Maybe they felt like they had been overlooked. Maybe it was a clash of personalities. Strange that. God has given us so many personalities and so many abilities. And, and then we've got to get on with each other. Life would be a lot easier if everybody was like me. So, uh, <laughs> but we've got to learn because this is part of the kingdom to honour each other and love each other and know how we we move forward. But in verse four, he 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 breaks out with this marvelous moment, which says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." And I will say it again. Listen, I'll say it again. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And, and let me just read the scriptures. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What do we learn from these verses straight away? Well, what we understand is that he is teaching us about that there's a right way to pray and there seems to be a wrong way to pray. He's talking a lot in verse 6 and verse 7 about two issues. It's interesting that he teaches this just after he's talking about the problems within the local church and individuals not getting on. 
So we've got to put it in this context that it's, it's in this context of, of not, uh, of strife, of problems and difficulties. And he says, listen, you're, you're, you're concentrating on these issues, but come on, you need to learn to rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Will you rejoice? Now in verse 6, he uses the word worry. Uh, What is worry really all about? Well, the word worry in the Greek here in this passage describes a very simple process of actually being pulled in different directions within your life. In fact, pulled in four different directions in your life. Now, of course, Paul knew this because he understood the Romans. And Romans had a very uh, interesting way, if they really didn't like you, of how to kill you. Well, first of all, we know that Romans were very experts at cross and crucifixion. But they also had a little habit, and it would, uh, which is where you get the kind of concept of worry from, is being having your hands and feet tied to four ropes, to four horses, and then riding in four different directions. That will injure you. It's something that, that is akin to the way that, that, that he's talking about worry. That actually what worry creates, worry creates you feeling all the time as if you are being pulled in different directions. Isn't that true? That it creates that problem, that anxiety, that pressure on your heart and in your life that you're being pulled this way and you're being pulled that way. And you feel that and you know that pressure within your life. You see... The, the, the ancient, well, the, the English word for worry, of course, is cares, where we, 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 we worry about what we really care about, and it bothers us, and it's part of us. And the Anglo-Saxon word that comes from that is actually being strangled, asphyxiated by stress and worry. And this is what happens when worry grabs hold of our lives. It asphyxiates us. It takes away our breath. It feels like we can't breathe correctly. It feels like we can't open our lungs up. And it feels like we're in this battle as if we are being pulled pulled in different directions within our lives. And as we're pulled in different directions, we feel we can't cope because we are overwhelmed. Worry is a problem. That you take on a worry, you think about it, you battle with it, it's, it's there in your life and it's, it's present. Now the one thing I want to tell you about worry is that worry will always steal your joy. It will always steal the ang- your joy of your life. And, and, and Paul says, rejoice and again I say rejoice. Because worry steals a peace of mind. Worry steals calm emotions. Worry steals our heart and pollutes our heart and affects our lives if we find ourselves in worry and and we find ourselves... Now, let me just say a couple of things. Well, first of all, I think we all, in different ways, worry. We experience levels of stress. But we have to be very disciplined in the practice of how to deal with this. And I'll be teaching that in a moment. But secondly, what we understand is that that for some individuals, 
and I'm talking generally about worry and anxiety in life. But there are some individuals, even in our congregation, as your shepherd, I acknowledge this, that it's not just worry or anxiety. For some individuals, it goes on to, to becoming a kind of uh, an illness, a, a disorder, an obsession. Uh, we talk about terms like uh, mental health issues and and anxiety disorders, and 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 you may be sat there and you may feel those pressures of ill health within your own mental welfare. I want to encourage you that 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 the journey that you're on towards health and healing, we love you. We want to support you. And by anything that I say to you, I don't want you in your battle medically to feel condemned or or, or frustrated. I want you to feel loved by God. And even in your illness, you are loved and cared for by God's heart and Father's heart. And he looks at you and he loves you. And sometimes we forget that there are a percentage of our congregations, and being Willow Park Church with different congregations, that do struggle medically with areas of anxiety. But I'm focusing on you and I, who perhaps do not struggle with that meant, uh, uh, illness or, or battle, and, and just life. I want to tell you something. When we apply biblical principles to our life, and we apply these principles within our life, Worry need not rob us of the joy of our salvation. And what I want to tell you very clearly today is that when you put your trust in Jesus and you actually trust him, I'll tell you what, many areas of your life, you can be free from the scourge and the anxiety of worry in your life. You can be, because that's what Jesus promises. That's what he promised to do in lives. He promised to free us. He promised to bring us hope. He promised to come to us and minister to us and to help us with this this battle. The gospel promises us that there can be a joy that is deep within our lives. But some of us have been mugged. I don't know if you've ever been mugged. I have. I landed in the city of Nairobi, beautiful city. I love Kenya. But uh, first time ever in Kenya. And my friend and I, he's a dentist. I don't know why I told you that, but I thought you might like to know. And we went off for a, a, an evening What we're staying in the Ambassador Hotel. Sounds a lot better than it really was. And, and we walked down the street and we went for a nice evening walk through the streets of Nairobi to breathe in the atmosphere. We took a few wrong turns, and after a while, we realized that there were a group of young youths following us rather intensely. And as we came to a crossroad, they started to basically mug us, gather around us, started pushing us. Uh, we had sunglasses. By the way, never do that. Had watches. We had things in our pockets. You know how tourists are. We carry things, our bum bags, uh, or fanny packs, as they say in North America. Um, and, and they were grabbing them, and, and their uh, glasses were being pulled off. And, and we're like, whoa, where did... And the hands were coming from everywhere. And we were looking around, and we were trying to walk away. And they were following us, and they were stealing us, saying, get away, get away. And they were grabbing us, and so we did what any Englishman should do in that situation. I ran. And <laughs> went, back, went back to the Ambassador Hotel a few glasses shorter, and sat down and, um, and had a nice cup of tea. 
But the point is, is that it became overwhelming because from every direction the hand was trying to grab something. And worry and stress creates that exact environment where from every direction it grabs us. It takes hold of us. It drags us down because because we can't fully trust that God will come through. That we can't fully trust that God's got it under control. It's like the, the, the old lady, uh, grandma, in her 80s, that finally the family bought a ticket for her to go on an airplane because she'd never been on an airplane. So she said, reluctantly, I said, so I'll go on the airplane. So she went on the airplane, had a little trip, and she flew round and experienced this experience that she'd never experienced. And she got back and the grandchildren were there. How was it, Nan? How was it, Omar? How did you get on? Your first time on a jet plane. She said, well, I, I, it was fine. It was okay. But you know, I thought, well, I'm not going to trust it completely. So I didn't put my full weight on the chair. And, and I was okay. The problem is, is that you, you're on the plane, you're on the journey with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it's ridiculous not to put your full rate on him because you're already on the journey. You see, it's about trust. You see, we can fill our minds with worry, or we can say, actually, I'm going to put my full weight on this seat because God's got it anyway. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one that is in control. He doesn't want us to be asphyxiated. He doesn't want us to, to, to experience being pulled in every direction. He doesn't want our joy to be robbed. And, and Paul is talking about this. And there is a, a right way to... to to really step in to prayer. And the right way to pray when you're worried is not, first of all, as we often think, to bring our shopping list to God. No, what Paul says, the right way to start, and he begins it this way, is with adoration. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I stay rejoice. When you are worried and you are stressed out, the greatest antidote to stress and worry in our lives is to start to rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, and give him the praise, and give him the honor, and remind yourself how great your God is, and how magnificent he is. So however hard it seems, often when we're stressed, the last thing we do is worship. But I'm telling you, the first thing we must learn to do is become worshippers and again rejoice. Because worship beats worry every time. You spend... You spend time in the presence of God and you, you worship him. It will annihilate and drive out worry out of your life. And Paul makes this clear. You know, you're worrying and arguing and got problems and grudges and difficulties and frustration. Stop, will you? And start to rejoice in your God, he says. And then let your gentleness be evident to all that the Lord is near. Don't you love that? That the Lord is near? This is the promise. That that the promise is that with your stress and worry, I want to tell you the truth that the Lord is near to you now. 
He wants to be near to you. He wants to surround you. He wants to love you. He wants to be near to you. How near does he want to be? He wants to be so close to you. And sometimes we've got to remind ourselves that God has it under control. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So how, where do we really start in this journey? Well, whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first act ought to be to get alone with God and to worship Him. That's the first action. And when we do that and get alone with Him, boy, does that make a difference. But then we start to pray. And out of adoring worship, we must see the greatness and majesty of God. We must realize that he is big enough to solve all of our problems. You see, what worship does and what adoration does, it takes the focus off you and it puts the focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when you start to adore God, and you start to worship him, and you start to to allow yourself to, to be caught up and revel in his greatness, your prayers, your adoration takes that worry and that problem and starts to shape it into prayers. And what we've got to learn to do is take the anxiety of our worry and turn them into adoring prayers to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and remind ourselves that God is great, that God is big, that he is powerful and that he's with us. See, that's the first place we start, with worship and with adoration in our lives. And as we start to focus on him and his vastness, as we allow scriptures to inform our lives, he, he, he's there. The second thing, it's with prayers and petitions. You see, he makes the point about earnest prayer. The second is supplication, an earnest sharing of our needs and problems. There is no place for half-hearted, insincere prayers. You've got a problem. I want to encourage you to be earnest in your prayer life, to be earnest in asking God. What do I mean by earnest? I mean be passionate, be committed, write those lists, give them to God, keep bringing to God. What does Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 say? It says, ask and you receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. For anyone that seeks will find. If you ask, you will find. You say, but you know, I feel bad about asking about these things. No, the very nature of our salvation is relationship and our Father cares about our problems. You know, often... We talk about half-hearted prayer. We are passive in prayer. But if you read the whole of the Bible, as many of you have done, you will notice that the great prayers in Scripture and the great cries of the Psalms are not weak, are not half-hearted, are not shy. The great prayers of Scripture are earnest. And God loves passionate, earnest, praying people. I know it works against our culture. I know it feels a little strange because we are conservative. 
We, we often feel like we can't do this. We can't bring our needs to God. We feel like, um, like, like maybe constricted, you know, because we, we, our culture and our background and our churchmanship. But let me tell you, when you look at the scriptures and look at God's kingdom, God calls us to be a people who pray with earnest. That's why he tells the stories of, of a woman knocking on an unrighteous judge's door, banging on the door, getting him out of bed, asking for things. And, and Jesus says, if, that's, if you can even get an unrighteous leader out of bed to get your petition, how much more does your Father in heaven want you to keep banging on the door? Keep praying, keep asking, be relentless, keep coming to the Lord. Earnest prayer is scriptural prayer. It's about what we should do. And so when we're earnest, we can ask and seek. And, and the third area of prayer is giving thanks. After adoration, supplication, earnest prayer, comes appreciation, giving thanks to God. How many of us love to hear the words, thank you, when we've done something? Your Father in heaven wants to hear the words, thank you. He loves our thanks. He loves the thankfulness that comes in through our lips, and yet we have been given so much, and we can fail to be, to be thankful. We, we want that with our children, don't we? We like them to say thank you. I do. You know, I do something for them. I like them to, um, to say thank you. And when they go, Dad, thank you. You're fantastic. You're amazing. Dad, you're, you're the best dad in the world. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's, that's how my 17-year-olds talk to me all the time. Um, <laughs> thank you. God, oh, God, I love you. Yes, 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 yes. As they're texting, heart, 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 heart. <laughs> you know, I'm not quite experiencing that at the moment in all every area. But you know, when Father's Day comes around, you know, all our dads are, what are we waiting for? A thank you, maybe, or an appreciation. Do you know, I've been saved from hell. I've been saved from myself. I've been saved from the punishment of sin. I've got so much to be thankful about. That every morning I get up and I know that I was lost and condemned and in darkness. And this morning, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has rescued my soul and given me the gift of eternal life. I've got something to be thankful about. And so, in our prayers, we need to be thankful. I'm reminded of Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 17... And verse 11, it tells an amazing story. There were 10 lepers in the distance. And the reason they're in the distance is because they can't come close to people. And in, in Jewish ancient culture, they were kind of condemned to their regions and condemned to wander the hills. They shouldn't get close to people. And they called out to Jesus, 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 help us. And he said, you know, purify us, touch us. What did Jesus do? They called out for healing and for freedom and for their lives back. 
and for hope. And Jesus gave them the gift of healing. But he said to them, go to the priest. Now, why would he say that? To show how great Jesus was, is. No, you go to the priest because you get your license back to come back into society. And he looks at you and he goes, you are now clean, come back. You can go back with your family. You can see your relatives. Jesus gave them back their life and gave them a second chance. And how many people came back to say thank you? One. One leper. And Jesus looks at him, surprise, weren't there ten of you? And only one has come back. You see, they were at a distance. And even after the greatest miracle, they allowed themselves not to be thankful and kept themselves at a distance. That is not the way that believers should be. Because of what Christ has done, he's freed us, not of a leprosy of the soul. He's freed us and given us salvation. He's freed us and given us a second chance. He's sent us back into society, whole and healed and freed with a confidence that is from heaven itself. And yet, very often in Christian culture, the last thing we do is give God thanks. But if we're going to beat worry in our lives... We have to be willing to give thanks. The little things. We are prone to pray about the big things in life and forget to pray about the so-called little things until they grow and become the big things. You see, what this scripture teaches us is that your little things count to God. You say, well, should I pray about little things? We pray about little things in our home. Our kids are always losing things. And after about an hour of searching, Michelle will go, all right, then you know what we need to do. And they go, yes. We need to pray about this, don't we? Yes. Because we have a really good father that likes to sometimes whisper and tells us where things are. And and one of my daughters went, I suppose so. Oh, suppose so. So we prayed, and, and, and within two minutes, we'd found it. And we were like, does God care about those things? I tell you, yes, he does. He cares about the little things. I know that seems hard, but he also, of course, cares. If I learn to, to bring the little things to him and learn to live this way with adoration, with, with earnest prayer and requests, and with rejoicing and thanksgiving that God has done it. If I learn to bring those daily things to him, but I tell you what, there's a lot of big things I'm also praying for. As one lady said to a theologian, she said, you know, should I really pray about little things? Because our little things important to God? Or should I just pray about big things? And as he looked, he just simply answered, he said, when you start praying to God, realize this. Realize this, that there is nothing in your life that is big for God. When you compare your big things to your big God, God's got that. He's got it there. He 
has it under control. I know that it seems difficult to even say that, but when we compare God's vastness and God's greatness, when we look at the universe and we look at all around us, I want to encourage you that those big things in your life are not too big for a God that came and sent his son to die on the cross to rescue you. Those big things, God can look at them because to Compared to God, those big things, there's neither big or little with God. He just loves you. He is present with you. He is glorious. He is all-powerful. See, look at the life of Daniel. See, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 11 tells us a really interesting thing. The decree went out. Was that you can't pray to any other gods. And if you pray to any other gods, you're going to die. What does Daniel do? He goes upstairs to his upper room and he opens the window and he looks out and he gets on his face before God and Daniel prays three times a day in the same way that Paul is explaining. He prays with thanksgiving. He prays with his requests. He prays with adoration. You can see it in the scripture as day after day as he moves against culture, against the emperor, against the ruler. He makes his way. He opens his window and he brings his praise, his thanksgiving, his requests to God until one day somebody sees him, of course, and they, they condemn him and they throw him in the den of lions. But interesting in that story, Daniel gets in the den of the lions and he sleeps while the emperor is awake all night long worrying. What does this tell me? It tells me that if you build into your life a rhythm every day of adoration, of earnest prayer and thanksgiving, there'll be a day as you look out in that window when there's a knock on the door and the biggest challenge of your life comes and you're thrown into a den of lions, but you are prepared to cope with the den of lions because you've learned to adore him. You've learned to pray to him and you've learned to give thanks to him. You've learned to open the windows of your life and bring your prayers to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what it's about. And the truth is, it's about right thinking. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. Guard your heart. Now, this phrase, guard, is actually, it's actually... uh, literally a Roman legionnaire standing at a gate and there to protect you. It's interesting that Paul is shackled and chained to a Roman guard and he should be stressed out and worried and he's writing about about a, a spiritual guard of peace watching over his mind and watching over his heart. That is victory over stress. When you can be in a prison... And you're chained to a Roman guard and you're given a metaphor about that God's peace is like a mighty warrior standing over your mind and your life. That's amazing. That there he's there and that he's standing over you and he's, he's there. Finally, brothers and sisters. You see, it comes to what I call... I'm not into psychobabble too much or anything like that, and I don't often preach it, but there is this what they call the 92% 
8% rule. I'm sure you've all heard of it. No, you may have heard of the 20-80% rule, which we won't get into. It's about productivity. But, but the, the 92%, researchers have told us that people who worry a lot, that in reality, only that 92% of the time, it never happens. Because we're imagining it, we are thinking about it, and this is out of control. Now, I know that those of you who really worry are going to worry about, well, when, when is it the 8%? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what to do. When it's the 8%, get on your knees, open the window, and it's time to start to adore him, to earnestly pray to him and give thanks to him. And be prepared if the lions come at the door. Be prepared for that. You see, we have a, a, an enemy, and his name is Satan, and, and, and John... 8.44 tells me that the only language he speaks is lies. He's the father of lies. I speak two languages. I speak British English, and I'm learning Canadian English, slowly. But, but you know, many of you are bilingual. Many of you are able to speak. Uh, that's, that's probably why the British left Europe, because we couldn't learn the languages. Uh, oh, no, it's too much. And, and all of this. Oh, no, no, let's just talk louder to foreigners. Um, that's what the English people do. When we go abroad, we just talk louder, because then they'll understand us. Oh, madness. But, but the language that Satan speaks is continuous lies to you that tells you God's not got it. You can't trust him. Your prayers aren't being answered and he's not with you. He's a liar. Don't listen to the lies. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. And he says, change the way you think. It's a great revelation to work out that you're not in control of your, that you are in control of your mind. You see, he says this. It's beautiful. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, learn to think about those things and not the negative things. In other words, think the best, don't think the worst. And when you start to think the worst, train your mind to think the best because you're on the plane and stop messing around, put your full weight on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He says, what does he say? Think pure thoughts. Think lovely thoughts. Think admirable thoughts. Good thoughts, not Ugly thoughts, not angry thoughts, not jealous thoughts, not resentful thoughts, but take control and think good thoughts, and you'll, you'll be blessed. Whatever is praiseworthy, think about it, and whatever is excellent, think about it. Do you know, some researchers have said that human beings can spend up to 80% of their time thinking about negative things. Wow, we're a miserable bunch, aren't we? And then, and then 80% of those 80% thoughts are thoughts that we've thought about four or five times that week. Wow, we all need to do Encounter God. 
Well, we need to get our minds under control and say, I'm going to put my full weight on God. So this is the challenge for this week. The challenge is not to misuse your brain power, but learn to concentrate and not to waste. But the challenge for this week is if it's only for 15 minutes a day, spend five minutes waking up in the morning, open your Bible and your journal. And as you open your Bible and your journal, spend five minutes adoring how great God is. Spend five minutes Asking him for the needs of your life. Spend five minutes thanking him that God's got it. And that God is giving you so much. And the heart of praise. And if you do that 15 minutes a day, every day this week. For some of you, that's a beginning. For some of you say, that's easy, Phil. I'll do 10 minutes. I'll do 15 minutes. I'll do 20 minutes and do an hour of prayer. Brilliant. See you Monday night for the prayer meeting. Fantastic. Let's all pack the place out in our last prayer meeting, our 24th Willow One prayer meeting, as we gather together before the summer break and pray together as a church because it's a prayer that makes the difference and we'll practice ourselves. But you go away, think differently and start to pray earnestly to the Lord. Let's stand together. Just for a moment as we stand, let's close our eyes. And why don't you give your worries, your anxieties to the Lord. Why don't you make a decision this week to do something different? Because what you're doing at the moment may not be working. So you might as well try something completely different. Why don't you decide this week to to do your quiet time, but to do it as Paul taught us, adoring the vastness of God, earnestly asking for those little things, those big things, but to God there's neither little or big. He's just involved in your life. And to come and to give thanksgiving. Lord, I pray that as a praying church and a praying people, we will learn to give our anxieties and our worries to the King of Kings. That God has it. I pray for some of us that need freeing from anxieties and worries. I pray that you will come and help us. Some of us, Lord, oh, are facing the biggest problems in our families. Vast But Lord, I thank you that even in the lion's den, you promise us peace. Please help us, Lord. Help those families with people who are sick at home. Help those that are gathering and struggling. Fill them with your love and your presence. And come now, Lord, and minister to us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.